Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. We're in our Sunday school hour here. And so for those of you who are watching to keep up with everything, and I hope everything's going okay with you because I know some of you watch when you're homesick. And then for some of you who are just out of town or something like that, we'll look forward to seeing you back safely. But uh, thank you for keeping up with your Sunday school class and lessons so that we learn together as a church. And I also want to say again, a word of appreciation to those of you who teach. And I appreciate your study. I appreciate your diligence. I appreciate your ministry to your class and they appreciate it too. You may not hear about it a lot, but they do and you're making a difference in their life. And as you reach out to other people and reach out to absentees and enfold new people into your class, you're making a difference in their lives as well. And as we come to this that we're going to present on the 16th of October in the year 2022, we're looking at the life of Daniel, of course. And we're at a point where we find Daniel, the title is Daniel headed towards undeserved disaster. Now that undeserved is pretty important. I'm so glad that we have a God who will rescue us out of the things that we do deserve. And um, there's too much of that. Too many times we are sinful, we're lax, we uh, fall into the trap of the enemy, we get lured into some things. Temptation, as uh, the Bible says, we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. That's a fishing term. And uh, it simply means that when we're tempted, the way that we sin is because we were dumb enough to take the bait. And uh, we have all of those things, and yet the Lord is so good and so kind to deliver us. It's what uh, the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, means don't lead me or lead me away from that stuff. And the um, deliver us from evil Really, it should say, deliver us from the evil one because we fall into the trap of the enemy and we want to be delivered from all of that. And uh, so, so many times we find ourselves crying out to the Lord because we're in trouble that we, well, we actually deserve it. We are our own worst enemy sometimes. But this is important because I think sometimes it's more difficult to deal with the undeserved disasters that come into our life. You know, if I uh, fall into a trap and I know I'm falling into a trap, I know it's because of my sin, then I have to take responsibility for it. And I certainly cry out to the Lord for forgiveness and for deliverance. Uh, but back in the recesses of my mind, I know that this is my fault. I deserve this. And it kind of makes sense. But what do you do when you fall into something that you didn't deserve? You didn't sin. You didn't do something stupid. And that's where Daniel is. And I have had a few times in my life where everything in my mind and everything that I thought said, I don't deserve this. This isn't right. And it's very, very, very hard to handle that. It's hard to respond to it properly. It's hard to deal with it because you feel like you're getting the raw deal. You're getting something, you know, again, that you don't deserve. It seems unjust. It seems unfair. 
And it's hard to deal with the situation. It's hard to deal with the people that might have caused it. And here's the dirty little secret. It's really hard to deal with God who actually allowed for it to happen, or in this case, planned for it to happen. And uh, what do you do with these kind of situations? Boy, this is going to take a lot of spiritual growth, a lot of sanctification, a lot of faith in order to handle this properly. And this incident with the uh, lion's den didn't happen to Daniel when he was 17 or 25 or 30 or anything like that, because he probably would have handled it a lot like we do, and that would be not well. But Daniel is an old man now. He's a seasoned veteran of these things. He's been walking with the Lord a long time. And I think that when we talk about all of this, it's not just having faith in the Lord. Daniel had faith in the Lord from the beginning. I think the way that you handle these kind of things It's in knowing and loving the Lord to the degree that Daniel did. Daniel is about 82 people that are much better than math say that. And I read it in some of the commentaries, somewhere around the age of 82. He's an old man now. But his uh, elderly status didn't just make him want to pull back, withdraw, and say, oh, this hurts too bad, or I've paid my dues, or let the younger people do it. All of those things that we say that are not necessarily good. Daniel is old enough now to say, I have seen the Lord work, and I know this Lord that I serve, and I love him to the point that I will trust him and be faithful to him, even in something that I don't fully understand, even in something that I don't really deserve. So the question would be, could you say that if something happened to you? It takes a while to get to that point, and we've got to be patient with the Lord. We've got to be patient with other people, and we even have to be patient with ourselves. We're not all there yet, but we're heading that direction. Being faithful unto death, the Lord Jesus said, to one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And that really is what we want to do. We want to finish well. So as we think about this, let's read our text. We are in the uh, book of Daniel, and we're in chapter 6. And uh, look at this. We're only doing one verse today. Is that going to mean it's shorter? Don't count on it. But it could be. could be. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. That's a little interesting, isn't it? And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. This is important. As was his custom since early days. So Daniel knows the law has been signed, that law that says you can't petition any God or anyone else for 30 days except the king. It's an unalterable law. There are no loopholes. There are no exceptions to it. And so uh, what does Daniel do? He goes home. He goes home, and I think the way that that's written is that's what he would have done anyway. 
There was uh, a person who, when my father-in-law was very sick and he got a little bit better, he was able to uh, go and do a revival meeting. Someone picked him up and they said, uh, what has the Lord taught you through this sickness? And my father-in-law says, nothing. The guy looked at him kind of strange and he said, if I have to correct something because I'm sick or because I'm going through a trial, all it means is that my life was inadequate to begin with. Now, I want you to think about that. If you are going through a trial and you say, oh, I'm reading my Bible more, then that means you were saying I wasn't reading it enough to begin with. Well, the Lord taught me to depend upon him. And that means you weren't really walking by faith beforehand. And there comes a point in life where it would be nice to say, I'm going through this trial and I'm just carrying on business as usual because I was, listen to this, already doing the right thing before the trial came. You see, sometimes the trials do come <clears throat> to correct us, don't they? They do come to reveal our inadequacies. They do, inadequacies. They do come to reveal our faithlessness. They do come to reveal our carnality. They do come to correct us, but not always. Sometimes they just come to confirm us. Sometimes they just come for the glory of God in our lives. I think that's what this one was. This one wasn't because the Lord looked down at Daniel and said, oh, you're not praying enough, so I'm going to do this so that you'll pray more. It's nothing like that at all. And you notice that Daniel's response in this is he just goes home, and then when it's time for him to pray, he just does what he's always done, and he prays. And you'll notice the subject of his prayer. It says that he gave thanks before his God. How thankful would you be in that situation? But it shows Daniel just calm, steady, and as always, consistent, and faithful in everything that he did. I, I'm telling you, when you just take that much, you can't help but admire this guy. You can't help but admire this prophet of God who was so steady, so calm, so consistent all the way through his life. Wouldn't you like to be like that? Wouldn't you like for that to be the characteristic of your life? Not up, down, off, on, panicked and then apathetic, then panicked and then apathetic. I mean, that's no way to live. Even as a Christian, that's no way to live. And so we can learn a lot. That's why we're studying the life of Daniel. May God grant that we become more like Daniel and in so doing to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So the introduction says, how would the average person, let's just say average Christian, much less average person. How would the average person or average Christian respond to a death sentence that is horrific? And look at this, and avoidable, and avoidable. Now, it would be easy to say to Daniel, Daniel, dude, just don't pray in an observable way. I mean, you can still pray, Daniel. Just don't do it where anybody can see you. And then maybe we might actually say, and Daniel, after all, it's only 30 days. God knows that you're in a bind. God knows that this is 
uh, a tough situation. God, I mean, God wants you to have your best life now, according to what I've read. And he wouldn't want you to go into a den of lions, would he? Why would a God want to do that? I mean, after all, I wouldn't want my kids to go into a den of lions. Why would God want you to go into, into a den of lions? Just keep your mouth shut. Stay out of sight. Be camouflaged. Just don't do it for 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, resume it business as usual. Simple. And it's, uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? And yet Daniel knew that this law was aimed at him and that they would notice if he stopped praying. See, this isn't going to be just a thing to where they go, oh, look, he's praying, throw him into the lion's. It's also going to be the coin turned over is they're going to notice Daniel stopped praying. What does that mark him as? He's a fraud. He's a fake. His worship of God means absolutely nothing because these people knew and they understood something that we don't. Something worth living for is also worth dying for. And uh, they were going to evaluate Daniel, his faith, the quality of his character, his integrity, and his walk with God. And Daniel is going to be, you know, we talk about a win-win situation. This is kind of a lose-lose situation. If he prays, he's thrown into a horrific death in a den of lions. If he doesn't pray, he is neutralized and his life means nothing. His faith means nothing. All of the things he's ever done, it's just marked as you're a fraud. You're a fake. Now that speaks to a lot of people now because the way you end your life, the way you finish your life, the way you live today gives credibility to the things that you said yesterday or a decade ago, or 20 years ago. All of those things that your Sunday school teachers, most of you listening, all of those things you teach today can be neutralized by how you live in a few years. You're going to give up. You're going to quit. You're going to back out on God. You're going to be unfaithful to the Lord, unfaithful to the church. I mean, what are you going to do? And Daniel knew that he is on trial here, and so he cannot stop. He cannot quit. I remember Carl Kerrigan saying one time at a revival meeting, he said, now, if you are a member of this church and you, by joining the church, made a commitment to the church, but you're not gonna, going to attend, don't you dare go out to eat where somebody would see you. Don't you dare be out in public or out in the yard or cutting your grass where people would see you because they're going to know you're a fake. Don't let them see the blue light of the TV through the curtains as they walk by your house because they're going to know your church is in revival. You're not there. You're a fake. And don't uh, do that because it'll call attention to the fact that you're not everything that you've claimed to be. So why would they ever listen to you? Boy, Brother Carl had a way with words, didn't he? And he was right. And the same thing is true with Daniel here. If Daniel doesn't pray, if he doesn't continue with what he has done, then what are they supposed to think about him? He's finished in terms of his witness for Christ. Boy, how many people are neutralized in their family, in their home, with their children, with their grandchildren, with their neighbors, with their friends, and even with people that they've taught in the church because they're not finishing very well. That's a good word, isn't it? And so uh, here he is. What's he going to do? 
And so uh, this is going to be, if he stops, a denial of God and the supremacy of God. So this is pretty important. This is pretty relevant to us. I may never be thrown to a den of lions. You probably won't be either. But your faithfulness and consistency kind of puts your Christianity on trial. Or maybe I should say your unfaithfulness and your lack of consistency is putting you on trial. So let's not whine and complain about the next generation and why they don't believe if we haven't been faithful unto death. So number one, I want you to notice, and uh, these are all in verse 10, Daniel was fully aware. This is not something that slipped up on him. This is not something that caught him off guard. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. So he's not... uh, just going through things going, now what? I didn't know about that. Well, what am I going to do now? He'd already made up his mind because he already knew about all of this. And um, he walked into this with his eyes wide open. And this is because he's living by conviction, not by convenience. And you know, there's a lot of people today that They are faithful to the Lord. They're faithful to the church. They're faithful in their Bible reading. They're faithful in their giving. They're faithful in their witnessing until it becomes inconvenient. And it's at that point we know whether what they were doing was real or not. And of course, as I said before, if a trial comes and then you feel like, oh, I I better go to church more. It means you weren't going to church enough to begin with. Well, I better read my Bible more. It means you weren't doing it enough to begin with. All of these things are pointing out to us where we are. Yes, I know God's gracious. Yes, I know he's merciful. And I would never discount any of that. But I would also say, But you need to realize that in spite of all of that, he's also worthy. He's worthy of our best. He's worthy of our faithfulness. And so uh, Daniel wanted to give the Lord his best. Now, the easy thing would be to do, just abandon your faith and live like a Persian. When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Just blend in. Don't call attention to yourself. Don't do what you uh, normally would do. Don't live like a Jew. Don't live like a a God-honoring, faithful man or woman of God. Just, you know, kind of back off and blend in. And so this is aimed at him. He knew about it, and it would only be for 30 days. There's a trap in that. There's a trap in that. See, this would be uh, maybe a little bit different. Uh, I think about the Apostle Peter, and I know I've mentioned this this several times before, but I really do think that Peter, if someone had put a sword to his neck and said, deny the Lord or die, you've got three chances, I think Peter would have died willingly and gladly at that point for his Lord. But the problem was there wasn't a sword put at his neck. There was somebody that came along and they said, aren't you one of those disciples? And just without even really thinking, he goes, no, you know, I'm not one of one of them. And instead of that waking him up to uh, what he had done, he does it two more times, a total of three times, which reminds us it's the little things that get us. It's the opportunity to compromise that really clobbers us so often. And I think there are a lot of us that if uh, 
Somebody came in here to the church on Sunday morning, lined us up against the wall and said, deny Christ or die. And they had a machine gun. I, th I think we would probably be absolutely surprised at the number of people that would die for the Lord. I think the problem is not will we die for him? The problem is will we live for him? And Daniel was not concerned about dying for the Lord. We're all going to die. He was concerned about living for the Lord. So what does he do? He just goes home like he always did. Number two, he was bold, but he was not arrogant. Why did I put that in there? I think that there are some Christians that try to be bold and all it does is make them look arrogant. It makes them look um, proud. It makes them look like know-it-alls. It makes them look like they are grandstanding, let's say. Have you ever known anybody like that? What about some of the people that have protested? Those of you who are old enough, think about the um, back during the Vietnam War, the early days of that. And think about in, uh, I think it was in Saigon, a Buddhist monk, monk that poured gasoline over himself and set himself on fire. Now, why do you do that? Why do you commit suicide? He might call it being a martyr, but it's really more suicide. Why do you do that? Well, you want to get attention. And he wanted to draw attention to a cause. Now, you may be able to find some nobility in that, or you might look at that and say, is that what Christ would call us to do? Now, I know that that man wasn't a Christian, so he wouldn't care about that, but we should. And sometimes do we make a stand on things just for show? Do we th do things sometimes just because we want people to notice? We want to stir up things. Well, I want to assure you, Daniel was not doing that. This was not grandstanding. In fact, this whole verse tells us, and it's put in there to point out the fact that Daniel was just simply doing what was his custom from the early part of his life. So there's no showmanship or anything like that. He's not daring them to do anything. And so uh, he went home and he went up into his upper room. He didn't change who he was because of this law one way or the other. He didn't become more bold because of the law. He didn't become less bold because of the law. He just did what he always did. He's been faithful at just as he was in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we read about Daniel being taken captive out of Judah and brought in to be trained to be one of the servants of the king. And uh, what does he do there? That's when the issue with the food, the non-kosher diet comes up. And uh, Daniel wasn't arrogant. He appealed to the person who was in charge, asked to be able to, why don't we try this? And uh, so they did. And uh, Daniel's faithfulness was proven true. He interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, even told Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was. And um, it was just, you know, another day in the life of Daniel. And he was faithful. He didn't compromise. He didn't give in. He didn't bend. He didn't camouflage himself. He just was who he was. And now we find him at the age of 82 or so. What does he do? The exact same thing. And Daniel was not arrogantly saying, I won't change and I'm not going to do that. He just simply said, why at this point in my life would I do anything differently than I've already done? I'm going to pray. And so he goes 
to his house, to the upper room, and he prays. I've got written here. He didn't go radical or seek publicity or stir up trouble. Now, I want you to think about how it hit you. How many of you, because of uh, events like 9-11, have been tempted to convert to Islam? I haven't. Why? Because when I see those kind of things, it, it doesn't impress me and it doesn't make me intrigued or interested in them or in their faith. And there might be some people that would say, but you've got to admire their devotion. I don't know. Being devoted to something like that kind of seems um, stupid to me. Okay. And Daniel, some people might say, well, what about Daniel? Isn't he doing the same thing? Well, not really, because uh, this is not something that he reads about in the Bible. This is not something that he says his God is commanding him to do. And this is not something that he orchestrated in order that he might show everybody who he is and how wrong they are. It's not anything like that at all. Notice that the spirit behind all of this is just completely Different. So he's not just simply doing a publicity stunt, and he's also not panicking. He just does what he always did. Number three, notice that he refused to hide or cower. You know, there's a time for that. Uh, Moses was hidden in the bulrushes. Uh, the uh, spies going into Jericho were hidden by Rahab, those type of things. There were certain times when Paul... Uh, would leave town instead of confronting or being arrested, those type of things. There's a time for all of that, but Daniel knew this was a time to make a stand. Daniel knew that this law was about him. He does this with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees, not once, but three times that day. Now he's doing it towards Jerusalem. That's where the temple once stood. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 44, if your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever way you shall send them, and they shall pray to, to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. That's why he faced it. He was remembering where he was from. He was remembering who he was. He was remembering his roots. Maybe he was thinking about his mom and his dad. Maybe he was thinking about the temple and the times that he worshiped and sacrificed there with his family, looking toward the temple and being marked off in the Persian culture of Babylon of saying, I'm not one of you. I'm not one of you. I am a follower of Yahweh, the one true God. I am a Jew, part of the covenant of Abraham. I'm a Jew. And he did it three times a day, following the example of David. Psalm 55, 16, um, actually 17. Um, but I called to God and the Lord will save me. Evening, look at this, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice three times a day. Uh, he's also being like Jesus. In John chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus answered him, this is Pilate, 
I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Christianity is not a secret society. Secret, uh, it's not a secret club. It's not something like that at all. It is something that is open. And Jesus said, everything that anybody could bring against me is something you could have arrested me for three years ago. Nothing has changed. I'm out in the open about this. That's kind of like Daniel, isn't it? Three times a day he's praying, praying toward Jerusalem, like Solomon said they should, and he is also doing this open. He is not a secret disciple. He's not a closeted Christian. He's not wearing camouflage. Number four, he was not a spiritual complainer. Now, we just saw that you can make your complaint toward the Lord, and that's what uh, David did. And uh, he's a good one to complain to. Too often we complain to everybody else when we ought to be taking that to the Lord. But uh, not Daniel, not Daniel. Uh, notice here he says, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now he could have been praying saying, this isn't fair. He could have been praying saying, oh, why me, Lord? He could have been praying uh, send fire down from heaven on Darius and upon all of these others who are plotting against me. But it's interesting he gave thanks. You know, we're told in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And Daniel didn't even have that verse because it hadn't been written yet. And yet he does it. He's giving thanks. Does that not show his heart? What did he have to give thanks for? I think uh, Daniel could probably give thanks for things that God has done in the past. Maybe at this point he's giving thanks saying, Lord, I thank you that you answered my prayer and it enabled me to not eat the king's food and be defiled. I thank you, Lord, that you enabled me to tell the king what his dream was and to interpret it. I thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they wouldn't bow before the idol and you delivered them from the fiery furnace and were with them in the fiery furnace. I mean, I wonder if he was thinking about those kind of things. You know, you have a lot to give thanks for. What you are going through right now may really stink, and yet you can always give thanks for what he has done for you in the past, how he's blessed you in the past, how he's answered your prayers in the past. Daniel may have been giving thanks for the present. Lord, I thank you that even though there's a law written against this, you are worthy of my life, and you're worthy of my death. And I'm not going to back down from any of that. And I thank you that I know that. I thank you that you have revealed that to me. And he's in a land of idolatry. And yet he knew the truth. He was thankful that he knew the truth. God is worth dying for. And he's giving thanks maybe for the future. Because instant death is going to be instant glory. And he's going to be with the Lord. And he's going to be with him in heaven. So there's always something to give thanks to the Lord about, and that's why we are to give thanks in every situation. He could have been complaining, and yet he was actually being thankful and recounting these blessings, and he's doing it before God because Daniel had a God-centered life. Do you? And that may be what the Lord is teaching you to trust him to think about him, to not just see God as someone who is there for emergency use only. He is your life. 
You're to serve him at all times. And notice that it says, as was his custom. He didn't do this to make a statement. He didn't do this to protest. He didn't do this in an I'll show you manner. It was his normal activity from his early days. This wasn't a new activity. It wasn't something that he came up with as a new tradition, which is an oxymoron, by the way, or just a reaction to danger. It was business as usual, regardless of the situation. And I want to just encourage you to live that kind of life. Live the kind of life that doesn't have to change when things get tough. Live the kind of life that doesn't have to go and correct things when things get tough or go wrong. Live the kind of life that's just faithful and consistent and where you're like Enoch, it said he walked with God and he was not for the Lord took him. In other words, just walking with God until you're with the Lord. And that's kind of the way Daniel did and the way that we ought to live. So Daniel was faithful as was his custom since early days. And like Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he was ready to be offered. And the way you prepare to die is found in the way you live. A life of faithfulness today prepares you for the trials of tomorrow. What you do today prepares you for what's going to happen tomorrow. What is the Lord preparing you for? I don't know. I don't even know for myself. There may be more sickness. There may be grief. There may be persecution. I don't know. But the way we get ready for that is to get to know the Lord and to love the Lord today so that we're ready to walk with him through the fire tomorrow because God is worthy of that and he also is faithful when we're in our trials. Be a Daniel. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you. I pray it's fed your soul and may the Lord bless you as you pass this truth on to other people for the glory of the Lord.